Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Take your Bible, if you have one, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 26. Once again, welcome to Southridge. We're so honored and thrilled that you're here. I hope to connect with you right after our service. As you're turning there, I want to make a special announcement. I don't normally do this. However, several months ago, I came across a book, and I'm, I'm not really up here to promote books, except for this one was given to me by its author, and it's called Not a Mistake. And it says, a parent's hope for their gay son. And I read the book and I was moved by it. It really helped me to see some things. It showed me some powerful truths. And next week, the author, Jim Doman, is going to be here in our service. And I'm going to interview him regarding his book. And I think for too long, the church, when it comes to cultural issues, we've been kind of silent, haven't we? Because it's so sensitive. It's such a, you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to, I mean, even just, the mask was hard enough, you know? I mean, do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? You know, is it fake? Is it real? I mean, we we went through so much, and then now it seems like we're still, oh, how, how, how do we handle this? And then we wonder, well, does the Bible have anything to say about these issues? And the Bible most certainly does. And I love the approach, because if you're new to church, Maybe you've heard that the church loves to just kind of gay bash, or maybe you hear that the church is homophobic. These are some of the words that sometimes get labeled to churches. And so I would invite you to attend next week. It's going to be a special service. And then I would love for you to get a copy of this book. The book is about $17, but we're going to do something. I haven't told Jim this, but I want the church to cover the majority of the cost because especially for parents, I was listening to Joe Rogan this past week. And Joe Rogan is not a pastor. He doesn't claim to be. He is a best-known fear factor celebrity guy who uh, just has a podcast that's taken off. And he was talking to another non-Christian. These are both non-Christian. Joe Rogan would tell you, I think he's an atheist. He, He would tell you that even he is blown away by the whole transgender thing. He's like, I, I don't understand why we're introducing these to preschoolers. He said, I, it just blows my mind. And I stepped back and I was like, oh, churches won't even say what Joe is saying right now. And it just, I just stepped back and I want to understand and you to understand that the Bible says we're supposed to be a balance of grace and truth when we handle these things. And I've heard some very ungraceful people speaking truth, and I've heard some people that are speaking a lot of truth with no grace, or some have all grace and no truth, and so we're supposed to be a blending of those two. And so we're gonna do on Sunday morning, I'm just gonna interview him, ask him to tell us his story. He's out of the LGBT community. He's now married, has three children, and I'm gonna interview him next week. And as our kids go back to school, this will be a really good topic, whether you're like, oh, it's gonna be awkward. I want you to wade into the awkward. I'm okay and God's okay if you agree or disagree. That's, that's why we say, all right, God, you change me. And that's why we say, Lord, I'm surrendered to what you want. And next week, let's come and I know sometimes we're afraid, we're worried, but I want to say this. How many of you are following what's happening in Maui right now? Are you following what's happening? Yeah. 
the death count is up to 96 lives as of this morning. It's tragic. I've been to Maui. I've seen it. The island is beautiful, but it's just tragic. 96 lives snuffed out. The interesting thing about Maui and all of the Hawaiian islands, they have one of the most advanced warning systems out of anybody else in the world for typhoons, tsunamis, anything. They actually installed on all of their islands, there's over 400 outdoor speakers that are supposed to warn you whenever there's an emergency. But something happened on Tuesday that nobody was expecting. The island of Maui has 80 outdoor speakers and not one of them sounded. As the fires were raging, no alerts on your phone, no speakers. So people to their horror just looked up and there was the smoke, there was the fire, and it was run for your life. And because there was no advanced warning, 96 people lost their lives. The Bible calls the church to be the advanced warning system in culture. And the church is so quiet. And right now there's investigations. There are people trying to find out who was responsible because not one of the 80 outdoor speakers that cost a lot of money were saying anything. And so when the church does something like we're going to do next Sunday, it's the church just saying, what does God's word say? And are we able to speak into culture? And the church is. And the church should. We have the words of life. Jesus even said, I'm come that you might have life, Zoe, that is abundant life. It's not just life like you had a good time. It's this overflowing life. And I don't want to get carried away too much, but show up Sunday morning. I promise you say, well, I have gay siblings. I have gay relatives. Trust me, this is not going to be something where they're going to be upset. They're mad. It's not going to be like that. Now, that's Sunday morning. And then I'm going to invite you back Sunday evening for a little bit more in-depth. So Sunday morning will be an interview, and then Sunday evening at 5.30, you come back, and I'm gonna let Jim just kind of talk a little bit more, and especially for parents, how do we navigate these things? How do we have these conversations with our children from a biblical perspective? All right, now, let's dive into God's Word, shall we? Matthew chapter number 26. We're in a series entitled All In. It's week number three, and we are looking at Romans chapter number Six, and you say, wait a minute, I thought you said to go to Matthew. Yes, go there, but I'm going to read just a few verses beginning in Romans because the Apostle Paul lays out what our theme is over the next several weeks. He says this in Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The word reign is exactly like it sounds, not reign down, but rule, to have authority. That's what it's saying. It's saying don't let sin overwhelm you, to have authority in your body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So in those two verses, we see three times we're supposed to yield. We're supposed to, first of all, yield ourselves yield our bodies, and then yield our members. Three times. The Apostle Paul is saying this yielding, this surrender, it's a holistic surrender. It's a complete surrender. He leaves nothing out. When he says members, your members have to do with your arms, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your feet, everything. 
When he's talking about yield your members, he's saying yield it all. It's all God's. This also involves yielding our past. And some of us have an easy time with that. Some of us have a hard time with that. It even means yielding our present. And once again, some of us, that's easy. Some of your present circumstances are very difficult, so it's hard. And we yield our future. If you're a parent, a grandparent, it gets harder because these children are basically your heart outside of your body walking around. And it's hard to see them go into a world that is difficult and seems oftentimes maybe even scary. So God is basically saying that when he comes into our life, he is involved. He's taking over. Jane and I once had someone watch our home in 2015. We went on a trip. We took the kids, but we had our husky. Now, not Kalani Husky. We had a different Husky named Tala, and that's part of the story too. So we were gone for a few days. We asked this bachelor, this, this guy to come over, and that should be right now, just a little bit of uh, uh, insight into what, what, how this story unfolds. So we text the person, hey, we're headed back. We're going to be there in about 45 minutes. You know, just give him time to just kind of wrap up things, you know, whatever maybe dishes he had in the sink, maybe he wants to clean those up, whatever laundry's out, whatever bed sheets might be out. It just lets him know, you know, I didn't want to just, hey, we're back. So we text him, give him the warning. We pull in. You can hear the garage door open. You can hear the garage door close. And then we're all excited to be home. It had been a tr long trip. So we walk in and there we see him. Not standing up like, hey, welcome back, guys. Hmm. He had taken our TV and he had moved it. And I was like, oh, okay, make yourself at home. Mikasa Sukasa. And he took it quite literally. So he'd taken my TV and moved it. And then he installed his Xbox gaming system on it. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Mikasa Sukasa. And then he had his headset on. And he's playing Call of Duty and he's in the middle of his duty, I guess. And they're gaming. And we said hello, and he barely acknowledged, barely a side glance. And then it's wintertime, and we noticed something that our house normally in the wintertime, we don't do. The heat was on. My wife's Filipino. You don't turn on the heat. What are you talking about? You just put on a sweater, put on a jacket if it's cold, all right? You don't need no heat. And it was a nice 78 degrees in our house. I was like, oh my goodness. This guy rearranged my furniture. This guy is touching the thermostat. Peter, I own the house, and I'm not allowed to touch the thermostat, all right? I own it, you know? And he had adjusted the thermostat, and then we were putting some things in the refrigerator. We opened up the refrigerator. He had put his food in the refrigerator. I was like, this guy's about to move in. I got a squatter. I let somebody watch my house, okay? He was supposed to watch my husky. Yeah, the husky, gone. I haven't seen her since. That was years ago, 2015. We had to get a new husky because my kids were bawling because their husky had ran away. This guy was there to watch the husky. Husky, gone, gone, all right? Yeah. And then we go into the garage. We look at the washing machine. His laundry is in the washing machine. And then I was thinking, this guy went from being a guest to acting like an owner. Some of us would call this entitlement. And this all illustrates exactly what you feel like God's going to do when you surrender to him. 
You feel like God's going to walk into your house, rearrange the furniture. He's going to go to your thermostat and say, nope, a little bit hotter. You're too cold right now. You need to turn up the heat. He's going to say, no, no, I don't like what you're eating. We're going to change our diet. Oh, no, no, I don't like what you're watching. We're going to get different channels. Oh, no, 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 we're going to change this. And some of you are treating God like a guest. God is not your guest. God is your owner. Jane pays the mortgage so she can adjust the temperature. She can rearrange the furniture. She can paint the whole house. It's hers. But yet you and I as Christians, we look at Romans chapter number 12 and Romans 6 where it says, yield yourselves to God. And all of a sudden we get a little bit irritated when God starts acting more and more, not like a guest, but like an owner. Because you and I have lost sight of the fact that he is the owner. And this series is all about helping us to reestablish that God is not a guest. However, he is gracious and he does not force his way in. He waits to be invited, but don't take that God is waiting for the invitation as his insecurity. And some of us feel like God is just this insecure, lonely deity waiting saying, oh, I really wish they would let me in. God is saying, no, you're missing out if not, I'm not in there. Your house is missing out on the joy. It's missing out on the peace. It's missing out on the power. It's missing out on everything that could be because I'm not there. The life that you want is on the other side of surrender. But yet you and I are holding on to this vice grip saying, no, it can't get any better than this. And God's like, yes, it does. And yes, it can. To illustrate that, your Bibles are open in Matthew 26, beginning in verse number 31. I want you to see this. It says, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and of the flock and the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Wow, that's great, Peter. Good job. Verse 34, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And here Peter, 35, verse 35, he doubles down. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. I think I said that to a girl in fourth grade. Even if I have to die for you, I will never leave you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went to the, with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell down on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned with the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. God doesn't demand control. 
He waits for you to yield it to him. And this even applies to the son of God. This whole story is the story about the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And what do we see Jesus do? We see Jesus in a battle of wills. He's about to lay down his life and he's struggling with that. Because he knows the pain, he knows the cross, he knows the torture, he knows what's about to happen. And in that moment, he's having a hard time surrendering. All the while, you have Peter, who Peter is saying, oh, I, I will never leave you, and I will definitely surrender, and I'll be right there. I'm your ride or die. And then Peter's asleep. Found some nice grass and got comfortable. But then I want you to understand this morning, and I want to speak on the subject entitled, The Other Side of Surrender. The Other Side of of surrender. Surrender has sides. You see, the Bible says that he took his disciples with him. And there's this side of surrender that I call pre-surrender and post-surrender. Surrender has sides. Each one of you are on one side of surrender. Some of you this morning, you are on pre-surrender. You are holding on. You are saying, no, I don't want to let God in because I feel like God's going to be a bad house guest. And there are those of you that can attest that, no, I let God in and my life forever changed. There are some of you that understand the change that can take place. However, there are those that are sitting here that are saying, I am pre-surrender. And maybe you are similar to the disciples who are there sleeping while Jesus is suffering. I would call that apathy. So there's some here, the reason you're in pre-surrender is you're just apathetic to it. You don't understand why you really need to surrender. You like where your life's at. You're comfortable. You're fine. Everything's good. Why jeopardize anything? Why change it? Getting married for me was this idea that my wife would never change. And her getting married to me was, I know I can change him. And we're both wrong. And this is kind of that same idea. Some of us are like, I just don't want anything to change. And God's like, I could change him. And there's this battle of will. Some of you are over here and it's this side. It's this pre-surrender. And some of you, you won't surrender because of apathy. Some, it's this anxiety. Jesus is experiencing a level of anxiety that began to even burst the capillaries in his forehead where he began to sweat great drops of blood. Some of you, you're in this pre and it's, it's, it's intense. You're, you're saying, this is hard. This is difficult. And you're saying, I don't know if I can really surrender. The anxiety. Some are angry. You're mad about a situation. God did you wrong. Life did you wrong. And so you're on this side of, why would I surrender? Why would I give up? Life's been so hard. It's been so difficult. So some of you are stuck in this phase of pre-surrender where there's apathy, anxiety, and anger. Those are things that are keeping you out of surrender. Now, there could be others. I just like A words today. Just a little bit of alliteration to help us out. You see... When it comes to you and I, we, we, we don't understand that there can be these things that help us to surrender. You know, for me, I can remember growing up in a Christian house. My dad was a pastor. And so I kind of always assumed that I was just going to go to heaven. I just kind of figured that I was born into it. My dad's a pastor, so I might get a pass. Just kind of skate right in. 
It's kind of what I assumed. And then at the age of 14, one Sunday, we were going to have a baptism service. We were a small country Baptist church. So having a baptism was kind of a big deal. We, we wouldn't baptize 15 people in a couple years, let alone in a couple weeks. So what you're seeing here is exciting. I didn't see that. So I saw my oldest brother was getting, the one getting baptized. And I was like, oh my goodness, my oldest brother's getting baptized? Now you got to understand, Rocky, my oldest brother, Josh, was the perfect one in the family. He was the gold standard. Power went out. We lit the room with his halo. He was good. He was perfect. He was the one that we all looked up to, the one we were compared to. It was always, look at your brother, Josh. Man, Josh, Josh, Josh. You know, he's so good. He's so this. He can sing. He can dance. Look at him. And it was just like, oh yeah. You know, you just wanted to, you just wanted to punch him. You know, just, it's just one of those guys you're just like I, I just you know I just want to beat you up you know so when he got baptized I was like oh my goodness because I knew I was a bad kid like I just kind of I was just more or less hoping to make it to heaven like I but at the end of the day I would if I would have got up there and Peter would be at the pearly gates I'd be like yeah it was worth a shot I had to shoot my shot I didn't think I was getting in but you know at least I shot my shot right that's that's where I was at 14 you got to understand, I, I would go whole days where my parents one time spanked me a hundred times in a row. I was that bad of a kid. I stabbed my oldest brother in the foot. I was just a violent, angry little kid, okay? Just lots of problems. This may explain some things. And it was just so, I just knew that I was probably demon-possessed. I mean, there was just some things that I was like, I know I'm pretty jacked up. But then when my brother got baptized, I was like, oh man, something in my heart began to change. That night I tried to go to sleep and I couldn't sleep, Robert. I, I, I felt something that was like a weight on my heart. And it got heavier and I couldn't sleep. My parents bought an old farmhouse and it was uh, on 10 acres and it was the shape of a horseshoe. And the building actually used to be the church before my parents sold it, bought it and moved the church in another building. So we were the only house that in our bathroom, we had a urinal. I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's weird, but it's cool. You know, our house has a urinal in the bathroom. All right. You know, because it used to be a church. And so I remember my, my bedroom was on one end of the horseshoe and my parents' bedroom was on the other end of the horseshoe. And it's the middle of the night and I couldn't take it anymore. And I was going to walk all the way over. And I remember getting to the point right as I was about to knock on their door, wake them up and say, I know I'm not saved. I need to get saved right now. Because the conviction was so heavy. And I remember just waiting. I couldn't go through with it because I was on pre-surrender, not post-surrender. I was here, but then that Sunday was Easter Sunday. And on Easter Sunday, I couldn't even tell you what the message was, but I couldn't wait for the invitation because I knew this is my day. This is my moment. I'm going to cross over this line and I'm going from pre to post-surrender. There's sides to surrender and I wanted to be on the other side of this. I wanted to be over the apathy. I wanted to be over the anxiety. I wasn't going to let my anger keep me out. I was crossing over to the other side. And as soon as the message got done, I don't even know if they had started the altar call but man, I went to my mom and I said, mom, I'm not saved. And she said, we know. I was like, that's kind of hurtful. I was hoping you would say, oh, honey, baby, I'm sure you're really good and sincere. No, my mom knew. She was like, we know. Yeah, yeah. You definitely need to get saved. Yeah, for sure. And then I remember when I prayed with my mom, oh, the release, the weight, the joy, the peace that flooded my soul. I had gone from anxious, apathetic, and angry to still serene and surrendered. Because there are sides to surrender. 
And there are those of you this morning, you've been coming every week and you're on one side of surrender. But this morning, how can we help you to cross over? Because transformation lies on the other side of your surrender. That's where the transformation begins. Some of you are saying, why is my life not changing? Why is it always the same? And why do I keep hitting the same issues and the same problems? The same hangups, hardships, and struggles keep happening. And God is trying to use this series to help you to say, because you're pre-surrender, you need to get to the other side and get post-surrender where everything is God's. Where God is not your guest, he's now the owner. You've given him a key to the house and you've saying, God, you can adjust the thermostat. You can eat whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. This house is your house. You want to break it all down, rebuild it? It's yours, God. I lay no more claim. And that's when the transformation begins to happen. Every summer, I'd work at a camp. Many of you know this. And we would wait. It was a Christian camp. So you would have to go to what we would call like chapel every day. And they would do an invitation. But they said, we're going to wait until Tuesday for the first invitation. We're going to give it time. Let the Holy Spirit work. I said, let it breathe. You know, just kind of let it breathe. Just, just let it breathe for a minute. And then they would do the invitation. And that's when you would see people begin to come forward. as They would just wait. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus here is talking to his disciples and we opened up in verse 31 and he's sharing that he's going to give his life for everyone. And then verse number 33, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus is rebuking or Peter's rebuking Jesus saying, no, 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 this is not going to happen like that. You know, the hardest thing to get on the other side of surrender is because of people. You know, whenever I'd watch those invitations at camp, I would see something happening, you know, like everybody's sitting down and maybe someone would lean forward on the chair and they'd, they'd have their hands like this. And then we'd do the invitation. You would see a couple teenagers, they'd do this. And they put their head down. And they go, put their head down. They would look around. You knew they wanted to get out in the aisle and they wanted to go forward and they wanted to surrender. But they weren't going to make a move until one of their friends did. And you know what's funny? That happened years ago. And I still see it whenever we do an invitation here at Southridge. I'll see a husband look at his wife. Can I go? And the wife's like, you better go. I'll see people waiting for others and, and, and it's hard. I mean, not to make anybody feel bad, but the instruction was to take the communion during worship. And some of you were like, I don't know, do we take it now? Some are taking it, some are not taking it. And I feel bad because I'm that person that would be in my own head having this conversation. Like, I can't take it now. They didn't say it. there's not enough people. We don't have a majority of people taking it. It's like split. It's like 30%. And then some are just, I don't know. They, they, do we take it? Do we not take it? Ah, I'm never coming to this church. You know, it's just like, you, you don't like it. It's difficult. And the same thing happens with surrender. You're like, is there enough people surrendering? Because if there's enough, then I could join the herd. But you need to understand, Jesus is surrendering and it's only him. His, his 12 guys that were his ride or die. You heard in the scripture, we're going to die with you, Jesus. They're asleep while he's surrendering. They're sleeping through Surrender. When you're spiritually asleep, you can't get over to the other side of surrender. And if you're spiritually asleep this morning, it doesn't matter how well I preach, how much Holy Spirit, because you're just like, I'm just asleep to this. And the Holy Spirit is trying to wake you up and say, no, let's cross over this line. Let's get to the other side. And yet you might be sleeping through your moment of surrender where the Holy Spirit is trying to work and help you 
So the question is, what side of surrender are you on? And this could be yours too. This could be your hang-up while you're not surrendered. It could be because some things don't make sense on this side of surrender. It could be it just doesn't make sense to you right now. That you're saying, it's it just not clear to me why I should surrender. I don't understand it. You know, in Matthew 16 is a wonderful passage of scripture because it's the founding of the church. Jesus is with the disciples and they're in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And this is where Jesus tells Peter, upon this rock I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And then Jesus hands Peter the keys. to the, He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, meaning the authority, the access. And then it's amazing because it's just a few verses later, Jesus begins to tell them that he's going to be crucified. And Peter opens his mouth and says, no, it's not going to happen that way. Because Peter didn't understand. Because for him, some things don't make sense on this side of surrendering. You just don't know why. I can ask my kids and say, do this. And they'll say, why? And I'll say, it's not going to make sense right here, but it will on the other side of surrender. And you may be stuck here saying, Lord, I just need to understand all things so that I can surrender. That lacks faith. Some things you're going to understand. Jane and I went and visited a woman in San Francisco. Saturday was her 80th birthday. She's lost her husband. And we were just there to kind of minister and just speak with her. And as I was talking to her, I was able to share that my Oma had also come over from Germany. And shortly after immigrating to the United States, her husband had a World War II injury that came back. And he died here in the States shortly after they had immigrated. And my Oma didn't understand the language, didn't have any money. But then three months prior to her husband passing, her oldest son was hit by a car and he died. So here you now have a woman who has lost her oldest son. She's lost her husband. She doesn't speak English and she's in a new country, no family. And now she's got to make it. And as I began to share this testimony with this woman, all of a sudden I could tell that she began to receive some encouragement. And I said, you know, if you were to talk to my Oma after it, because she wrote out the family history and she showed how God used it in a wonderful way in her life. But it wasn't until after the fact. And some of you are stuck saying, oh, I just got to understand. 1 Corinthians 13 says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but one day face to face. One day everything will be known. But right now we live by faith and not by sight. So surrender is not giving up the struggle, but finding peace in the struggle. That's what surrender is. And if you are struggling right now, God is trying to bring you to that Garden of Gethsemane moment where Jesus is having to say, not my will, but thy will be done. And he's praying to help him surrender. And you might be struggling right now. And God is saying, the peace you're looking for is in the surrender. You're wrestling with things. You're holding on to something. There's the prayer of serenity that they pray at AA meetings. And it's so powerful. We're running out of time. I got to keep moving. You know, when you have surrendered to God, you don't have to surrender to anything else. Do you realize that? It's a once and final surrender. It's the ultimate surrender. The moment you say, God, I have surrendered to you, that takes care of it because that's the ultimate surrender. That is the surrender where you say, God, you've got it all. You can take control. I'm just allowing God to move me. Several years ago, we did a family vacation and we were in San Diego. And there's a place near San Diego called Legoland. Anybody ever been to Legoland? It's a great place. Kids love it. It's a lot of fun. Next to Legoland is a water park. 
We would go spend a few hours at the rides, and then we got warm, we'd go over to the water park. Well, when the kids were little, we would just kind of, it was all enclosed, we just kind of let them go and play, and we kind of watched them. And I thought I was doing a good job watching our son, Austin, and I was looking for Austin. I asked Jane, I said, have you seen Austin? And Kane was just born, and she was like, no, I've been watching Kane. And I was like, oh man, this is bad. I'm going to be in big time trouble if I lose another kid, you know? Uh, so I got I to gotta find Austin. So I'm looking for Austin all over this water park. I'm asking the lifeguards, have you seen this kid? I'm just looking everywhere. And then there's this bridge that you have to cross and under the bridge flows a lazy river. And I'm just looking, where is this kid at? I'm nervous, I'm scared. And I'm standing at the bridge and I'm just looking. And then I look down. And what do I see? I see somebody floating in the lazy river, sunglasses on, hands in a lock behind his head, and he's just floating along. He had fallen asleep in the lazy river. He didn't know he was asleep, and he's just floating around, and, and we didn't know where he was because he just fell asleep because he was so comfortable, so relaxed, and that's the power. When you just say, all right, God, take the wheel, God just says, I will take you on a journey. I've got this. I can guide you. When you surrender to God, God takes control. You see, no life is more secure than a life surrendered to God. You think security is found in this life? It's not. Security is found in surrender to God. You say, well, I need to control my finances. And God's saying, I can do a better job with that. You say, I need to control my safety. And God's like, I can do that. You say, I need to control this area of my life. Can I tell you, my friend, you and I can't control it. We can only surrender to God and say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the model prayer. And how often we forget it. He says, let God have your life. He could do more with it than you can. And as we close, the tragedy of one-sided surrender. Verse 56 of this passage says this, and it's so sad. I'll put it up here on the screen. Then all the disciples deserted him. And what's the word? One-sided surrender. Jesus went from pre-surrender, and he crosses over to, not my will, but thine be done. He took the cup of wrath and said, I'll take it. And in exchange for that, what did the disciples do? Do they match him surrender for surrender? Do they say, as our shepherd leads us, we the sheep will follow into surrender? No, that's not what they do, one says. It says that the disciples deserted him and fled. They left him. I often do weddings, and at weddings I tell the couple, it's not 50-50 in marriage. And it's not 100-100. Because sometimes I have 80% and Jane has the other 20. And I have to do a little bit more. And there are some times when Jane will do 90 because I can only do 10. It's whatever the relationship needs. However, I meet far too many Christians. It's a one-sided relationship with Jesus. He has sacrificed everything and crossed over and he did it for us. But yet you and I, we sit here and we're like, hmm, surrender. Give up our rights. Die to self. No thanks. 
What does that do to the face of the Almighty God who sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf? You see, we think surrender can be seasonal. We think we can just surrender whenever it's convenient. I'll give Jesus Sunday. I get the other six. He gets one. That's eh, fair trade. I'll throw a couple bucks in the offering plate. I'll serve on a ministry team every once in a while. I might go on a mission trip. I might pray for others. I might be uh, a Christian light. That's seasonal surrender. We are supposed to surrender every side to Christ. Nothing held back. Because surrender is faith's highest form. You say, I want to grow in my faith. Surrender is faith's highest form because you are saying, Lord, I believe you and I trust you and I know that you can do what I cannot. And so the greatest demonstration of faith is when you surrender because you know, I have no guarantee of the future. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to surrender now in this season. You see, when you learn to surrender, it's because sometimes you realize that there's no other way but surrender. And finally, I love this. We don't surrender our lives in order that we might be his, but because it was his all along. I come back to the illustration. God is not our guest. God is the owner. When I was little, I used to play with little toy matchbox cars. I went over to my friend's house, Stephen. Shouldn't have used his name in case he's watching the podcast. Went over to Stephen's house and I saw my cars. Stephen's house. I was like, Stephen, those are my cars. He said, oh, no, 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 I found these. Yeah, in my house. That's where you found them. And he said, no, no, no. And he would deny it. He swore, no, no, these are my cars. And I was like, but my initials are on the back of the cars. He said, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's for something else. That's this Michael Jackson, not Micaiah. You know, that's something else. So I got my brother Dan. I said, I don't know. The only way to get our cars back is we got to steal these things back. Get the ski mask, man. Get the flashlight. This Mission Impossible, nine years old version. So we went back over and we were like, okay. Tit for tat, man. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. You took two cars. I take four cars. Our pockets are all bolted with cars. I was like... I think this is noticeable, you know? It's like transformers are big. I got a transformer car in one pocket. I told you guys, as a pastor, you got to pray for me. I mean, it's, it's, my childhood is rough. Here's the thing. I may have been the owner of those, but I wasn't the creator of those cars. Somebody bought them for me and gave them to me. Jesus didn't just buy you. He created you. So as the creator, he has that form of ownership. But then it wasn't just that he created you. It's that he paid his price to buy you back. So you and I are twice his. I didn't create the matchbook box car. It was given to me. So I had a loose claim at best to those cars. You and I have a loose claim to our lives. And when you and I realize that we're going to surrender, that's when things begin to change for us. But the question still remains, what side of surrender are you on? March 5th, 1836, Colonel William Travis, 
was 26 years old. He had 186 men at a Spanish mission in Texas. It's called the Alamo. It was Sunday. He gathered up the 186, and then as history records, General Travis took out his sword, and the first time recorded in history, drew a line in the sand. And then he said, whoever step over the line, we will make our lives come at a dear cost. All but one man crossed over the line, surrendering. This morning, I believe that there's a line drawn again. What side of surrender are you on? Holding back, all in, waiting to see if the cool people will do it? Or will you say, though none go with me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, I will follow. We live in a culture, we live in a world that won't make a move to do the right thing unless we're going to get hearts, likes, applause, recognition. But where are the people that say, here's the line. If my spouse is going to go, my spouse is going to go, but I got to make my decision. If the fiance is going to go, the fiance is going to go. I got to make my decision. If the pastor's going to go, the pastor's going to go, but I got to make my decision. The coworkers are going to go, the coworkers are going to go, but I'm making my decision. If the children are going to go, the children are going to go, but I'm making my decision. If the friends and the neighbors and the coworkers aren't going to go, I'm making my decision. I'm getting on the other side of surrender because surrender has sides. Which side are you on this morning? Because that side will forever determine your future. And some of us are missing out on all that God has because you are playing this. Sometimes I'm surrendered and sometimes I'm not. So you are seasonally surrendered. You are not all in. You're partially in, barely partially in, you're half in, less than half in, you're just enough so that we still think you're a good Christian. But how about you get to the point where you say, I don't care what you think of me because this is not about you. This is about what Jesus thinks about me. This is about me making my difference. This is about me saying, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all yours. There's nothing held back. There's nothing in reserve. I'm totally sold out to this because what San Jose needs is to see people that aren't holding back but that are sold out to love others, sold out to care for their neighbors, sold out to tell people about Jesus, sold out to say, we're going to go reach the city for Jesus. I'm sold out to God and not to self. I'm sold out to Jesus and not to the devil. I'm sold out to holiness and not happiness. I'm sold out to living for others instead of living for myself because what we have today are a bunch of people that are just focusing on themselves, my happiness, my joy. And then you want the church to come alongside and prop up your dysfunctional happiness. And that was never what the church was intended to do. And I know we got guests here. And I know you want a nice, safe, happy church with a nice, safe message. This isn't the place. 
this is a courageous surrender. This is an all-in. This is a big faith. Bet the farm. Sell the house. Risk it all. One more soul. One more person. One more person in the baptism. One more person. And we don't stop until we see San Jose begin to change. Are you tired of the crime? Are you tired of all the mess and dysfunction? You and I have the truth. We have the life. And we can make that difference. I'm tired of seeing more marriages just, just break apart. I'm tired of seeing more kids wrapped up in a fentanyl crisis. I'm tired of more people losing themselves to an ideology. And then we look at the church and we, we think commitment is wearing an orange shirt. Thank you for wearing an orange shirt. It's a beautiful color. looks great on you. brings out your eyes. But that is not the sum total of commitment, my friend. The sum total of commitment begins when you and I leave these doors what will you do? You think it's easy to say, you know what, honey? I think God wants us to sell our house. No, it's not easy. What's even harder is the fact that we sell the house, you give the money to God, and then God gives you the ability to go and make more money. You're like, oh, God bless this investment. And then God comes back and says, oh yeah, hey, that other money you made, hey, uh, I want you to give that away too. Okay, God, I'll give it to you. And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want you to plant that seed in your ministry. Because I happened to listen to this guy's podcast in Spokane, Washington. Can you tell me where Spokane, Washington is? Because it's actually not even Spokane. It's farther from that. It's in a small little city, small little town. And I was like, $100,000 to that guy? Our church needs $100,000. Can I put that seed in our ministry? And God's like, no. I said, but it's Christmas, God. And God's like, so? I said, how am I going to get there? He said, buy a plane ticket. I said, are you serious right now, God? It is Christmas week. Ain't no pastor in the office during Christmas week. He said, well, you are. I said, oh my goodness. I don't even know if I can get to the bank. I can't carry that much cash on an airplane. People think I'm a mule running drugs or something. So get the cashier's check. And then as luck would have it, there was a severe winter storm. I was like, yes, I don't have to give the money. I don't have to go. And God's like, go find a way to get there. Are you serious, God? Hop on an airplane, rent a rental car, and drive. And the whole time, the whole time, the hardest thing was like, God, I would have no problem giving it to our ministry, but I don't even know this pastor. They don't know me. I don't even know if anybody's there. And God says, yours is not to wonder why. Yours is but to do or die. The charge of the light brigade. God says, I didn't ask you to understand it. I didn't ask you to even agree with it. I put it on your heart to do it. I said, okay, God, I hope Jane says no. Let me ask her. She didn't say no. She said yes. Dang it. Megan, please say no. I don't want us to be a church that never realized its full redemptive potential because we wouldn't ever get to the other side of surrender. Cortez is famous for burning the boats, wasn't he, when he landed? You and I, we don't want to burn boats. You're like, I'm going to keep that bridge just in case. 
I don't know if I want to cut that relationship, that friendship off. I'll save their number. And God's calling you to the other side. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, if there was ever a time where we needed a next level surrender, a surrender that gets to the other side, a surrender that says, I'm all in on whatever you say. It's scary, God. It's easy to talk about. It's hard to live. However, God, I believe you're raising up a generation that's ready to get to the other side of surrender. Heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, in the quietness and stillness of your own heart, if you're stuck there in apathy, anxiety, or anger, and you're on predecision and not post-surrender, would you take a moment and just be honest with yourself and say, God, where am I at? And where do you want me to be? Because I know that there's another side to this. I'd be honored to pray for you, pray with you, be an armor bearer to lift up your hands in this season. And maybe God's calling you to courageous surrender. There's something you have the anxiety, you don't have the peace, but you know you need to take this step and it's, it's everything that you feared it would be, but you just don't know if you can make it. Can I pray for you? Would that be you? you? Just slip up a hand. Can I pray for you? Oh, praise God for these hands. Oh, amen. God bless you. I see hands all over this room, hands lifted high, saying they are ready to go full in, all in on a surrender. As a first sign of surrender, I'm going to invite you if you want to slip out in a moment. And if you say, I'm just going to, I'm going to make this altar just a place of surrender. I'm just going to leave it there. Sometimes we have the worship team, but today it's just a keyboard. It's okay, Angel. We're good. We don't need the worship team. Thank you, sir. It's okay that we don't have fanfare. It's okay that it's just actually real. I don't know if you need to be hyped up to surrender. Can it just be the work of the Holy Spirit burning on your heart, driving you to change that thing, that area? Can it just be the Holy Spirit in you? Does it have to be man-made? Can it just be real for once? No coaxing, no frills. It's just you and God, finally, where you say, God, you're no longer my guest, but you are everything. And right now, Maybe you want to make an altar of your seat or you want to kneel at this stage, this altar. You say, I'm giving it all to God right now. If you want to wait for somebody else, maybe somebody else, or you could say, I don't care who goes. I'm going. I invite you to slip out and you could just kneel at the altar. Or if you'd like, you can make an altar of their seat. But right now, if, you're, if, you, if you feel so led, you could slip out and you could say, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to God. I'm getting to the other side of this thing. I'm crossing over from pre to post-surrender. Would you come? Would you slip out? If God's leading you? Father, I pray over these hands. Lord, what you want to do in San Jose with some yielded hearts and lives, 
what you wanna do with some sold out men and women, what you wanna do. God, I believe that San Jose does not know what it's about to happen through some surrendered and sold out people. They don't know the tidal wave that's coming, that the move of the spirit is coming, that a move of God is about to be unleashed over this city because we are surrendered and sold out, ready for all that you've called us to. God, we hold nothing back. We surrender everything. We say, God, it's all yours. You're the creator. You're the owner. It's all yours. I give it all to you, even though it was never ours. It was always yours. And we just are reminding ourselves of that in this place. God speak. Holy Spirit move. May your presence be real right now. Be with us, God. In this place, fill this room. Move in hearts, God. Do what only you can do. Spirit, you have free reign. We're not our own. We're yours. We were bought with a price. A dear price. And we just come with a posture of surrender. And we give it all back to you. In Jesus' glorious name. We don't need a rush. <laughs> give people just a moment. As they're pouring out their hearts, pouring out their lives in surrender to God. We want to make sure that God has time. So Father, we thank you for the move of your spirit. We thank you how you're working. And I pray that you would dismiss us now with your grace. We thank you and we praise you for how you work and what you want to do. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I don't want to rush anybody. If you want to spend more time at the altar, that's fine. Church doesn't always have to be 10 a.m. to 11. If you want to linger in the presence of God, you want to linger here, that's, that's fine. I'm so grateful that you're here. And I hope to connect with you in the lobby. As we have others that are here at the altar, we don't want to rush them. And so I'm going to dismiss you now. And out of respect for those who are just spending some time with God, I'm going to invite you to just quietly be dismissed and we can fellowship in the lobby. God bless you. Go with God. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.